Hey, good morning, Vine Life and All Nations. Great to be with you this Sunday morning. My name is Katie. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, hello, virtually. Please say hi on the YouTube chat. I'll definitely be replying back. Um, I oversee youth and students at Vine Life, uh, and it is my joy to do that. Um, and I'm really excited about being here with you this morning to share on Philippians. Last week, Sarah spoke on Timothy and Ephroditus, did a great job in encouraging us again about um, looking out for the people that we can live our lives with, being motherly and fatherly to them, to encourage them and walk with them. This week, we're jumping back into chapter three. So why don't you read with me? Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is to safeguard you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now there is a lot in here. And like the rest of Philippians, we could unpick it verse by verse and figure out the specific context and the Jewish tradition that's steeped within this. Um, But there are three things that I wanna uh, bring to us this Sunday morning. And the first one is circumcision. Now, I know what you're thinking, not another preach on circumcision, hey, we've had enough of them. Um, But Paul begins this chapter with a really strong warning. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And what he is talking about is circumcision. Now, I grew up with two sisters, Ellie and Sean, with my mum and with a female dog in my household. So I'm going to tell you, I am pretty unqualified to talk about circumcision. And dad, you can thank me that I never came to you and asked you what it was when I read about it in the New Testament, because there's a lot of it in the New Testament. Um, It's mentioned in Galatians, in Romans, there's debates about it in Acts. And that's because as these new churches were being planted, um, Paul and the apostles were wrestling with the legalistic Jews, the Pharisees that were trying to force the Gentiles to be circumcised. Now, to understand why this wrestle was happening, we need to understand why circumcision is important and why the Jews wanted the Gentiles to do it. Well, in Genesis 17, God commands Abraham to be circumcised. It's an outward symbol of an inward covenant between God and Abraham. 
It's something that he's then commanded to do for all of his household, his family and the male slaves. And it becomes a tradition, a a mosaic law, um, that on the eighth day of a boy's life, he must be circumcised. It's a symbol of repentance and a symbol of identity for the Israelites. And modern Jews now still partake in it. But it is an external ritual to symbolise an internal covenant. And I want to clarify something here because I don't think that what Paul is doing is going on a campaign to end circumcision. As we read later on in that chapter, he is circumcised himself. Jesus was circumcised in Luke chapter 2. And later in the Gospels, when Jesus is asked about circumcision actually speaks pretty favourably of it, says it was a law of Moses. In fact, circumcision is allowed on the Sabbath when a lot of things weren't. But what we hear here from Paul, see here from Paul, is a warning for people to reject circumcision when it is offered as a way to fulfil the law, to check a box, to earn their salvation and their righteousness or to place their confidence in it. Well, when it's used as that, That's why Paul says it's no better than mutilation of the flesh. So circumcision is fine in and of itself, not a bad thing. You know, it's a fine and right thing. Right things in their wrong place. And I just want to pause for a moment and ask us this Sunday. I wonder what are the external rites and rituals that we as Christians do that we fall into a habit of doing to earn some kind of brownie points to fulfill this kind of status of being a good Christian that are more about the external part of it than they are about my internal commitment to Jesus. But back to circumcision. I'm sure you're all going to be happy to hear, or at least the men, you're all going to be happy to hear. Paul says it's no longer required by the Gentiles, because it's no longer something that marks an elite religious group, but it is a way of life. In verse three, he says, for we are the circumcision. And we are the circumcision when we do three things. Number one, worship in the spirit of God. Two, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And three, that we have no confidence in the flesh. So we worship in the spirit of God. That's not just a Sunday morning act. That's not just something I do. That is my life lived with the Holy Spirit in devotion to God. My whole life is worship. That we rejoice in Christ Jesus. So we acknowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He is the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for my salvation. And three, that we have no confidence in the flesh. Flesh and circumcision. What did you expect from a youth and student worker, hey? I love a juicy Sunday morning preach. Don't worry, Phil and Sarah, don't panic. I'm not going to turn it into a purity talk. Um, But that is often what we think when we hear the word flesh, right? We're thinking sex. We're thinking lust. Probably sin. Something really base. But that isn't the context in which Paul uses this. So I find the Amplified Translation really, really helpful here. Um, The Amplified uh, Translation of verse three says this, for we who are born again have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, set apart for his purpose are the true circumcision, 
who worship in the spirit of God and glory and take pride and exult in Christ Jesus and place no confidence in what we have or who we are in the flesh. In what we have or who we are. So are we those people? Are we the people who place no confidence in what we have and who we are? Are we the people who don't use external rites and rituals to feel righteous, to earn status? Do you want to know a really good test for finding out where your confidence is in life? It's definitely a pandemic. A pandemic is probably the first thing that's going to shake up your life and once the dust settles, show you where your confidence is. So for me, this time last year, um, if someone had asked me, where do you think your confidence lies? I think I really earnestly would have said with Jesus because I know that that's the right answer, to be honest. And I really hope that that is actually where it is. But in reality for me, this time last year, I was three weeks married having a whale of a time. We had bought a house and we're enjoying that. I was planning weekends away and what I wanted to buy. Now we had two wages. I was mentally buying up all of the, and I mean mentally as in in my mind, not like running around a store crazily, but buying up most of the dinnerware from John Lewis, which is weirdly specific. But I know that some of you can relate to that and know exactly what I mean. I had all of these plans for 2020 and for my first year of marriage. And as we know, a few weeks later, lockdown hits. And for us, for me and Andy, my husband, Andy lost his work. Uh, so we entirely lost his wage. Um, he's a freelance musician, self-employed. And I know that a lot of you have experienced and are still experiencing the same thing. So what we had was a lot less than what we had before lockdown. Then a few weeks later into lockdown, I was put on furlough. And once the sort of pressure had resided, the pressure I was putting on myself to sort of reinvent student work and be this YouTube sensation that did a brilliant job with our youth. Once that pressure had gone away, I had massive questions about who I was. People who know me know I love my job. It's my dream job. I love young people and I love Jesus. But once that was taken away for a short period of time, I was left asking these massive questions about who I was and what I had. Questions like how much of my confidence was in the job that I did, my financial position, my health, my socioeconomic class, or even my race, the, the privilege that I have in being white. Or was it in a strong family friend support system? I'm sure many of you can relate to this. Partway into lockdown, when you start coughing or you get a bit of a headache or you suddenly don't feel right, that mild panic that sets in of, is this COVID? Oh my gosh, that fear that sort of rises and you, you begin to panic and it reveals that actually we quite heavily rely on our bodies working and being healthy. That a lot of our security, our confidence is in our health. And then my faith. How much did I rely on my church being able to gather as being my intimacy with Jesus? How much did I rely on doing Christian things as part of my church family as for me being a Christian? 
So when there's nothing to do and there's no one watching and there's no obligation to do it, what did I have and who was I? And was I relying on that? Really hard questions to ask. And Andy will tell you, I was a barrel of laughs for lockdown. It was about a month, but we're okay now. And I want to just remind you that some of those things that I've listed, they're not bad in and of themselves, right? Being financially secure and savvy with your money is a really good thing. Um, Looking after your body, being healthy, being well is a really good thing. Having a great church family, loving your job, great things, guys, right things, but they were totally in the wrong place in my life. And I want to encourage you, this isn't me standing here on a Sunday morning to say, and now I'm fixed, ta-da, I did it, great, only took a year. This is um, a lifelong journey that I am committed to, I'm still on, that is me letting go of the things I hold on to as assurances that my life is going to be good and that I'm going to be okay, bringing them before Jesus daily and, and slowly opening my hands and saying, will you trade me this for your peace, for your presence and your purpose, Jesus, in your kindness and in your grace. But Paul knows this struggle of confidence in the flesh well. And I love this section of Philippians because of that. It's just such an insight into the, into the humanity of Paul, right? Because he had the same status. He had the, st- the same identity that he could have relied on. Listen to this in verse four. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love it, sassy Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If you thought you were a good Christian, Paul is a better Christian than you. That's exactly what this chapter says. His cultural standing and status in Acts, it says he was a Pharisee born of Pharisees. That's some serious heritage there. And actually a lot of what Paul's saying, being a a devout um, defender of his faith, being a strict adherent to the law, they are good things. Maybe not persecuting the church, we'll leave that one to the side. But good things, other than that, in and of itself. But when we're looking to find our trust, our security and our confidence in those things, when we seek to earn favour with God by fulfilling a brief or earn favour with other people and the people that we value, why then all of that stuff becomes worthless. Follow me to verse 7. Why does it become worthless? Well, Whatever were gains to me, Paul says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So everything we previously relied on is by the by when we know the surpassing worth of Christ. It's not bad, it's just not required. Not wrong, but not necessary for my confidence. 
I don't need those things to find my confidence. Because when we truly know Christ, and the message translation says to know Christ firsthand in its translation of this verse, when he is the standard for everything else, well, all of it should and will pale in comparison. But easier said than done, right? How how do we get there? How do we know Christ firsthand and know his surpassing worth? And this is going to sound obvious, so I need you to bear with me. But we spend time with him. And sure, spending time with him might look like some of the external rites that we take part in, in prayer, in reading the Bible, in serving the poor. Absolutely, those are good things that we can do to spend time with him. But I think we need to start a step before that. To know Christ firsthand and to place our confidence in him, I think we need to first acknowledge where our confidence actually lies and then set our intention for it to actually lie with Jesus. We need to want to want Jesus, to want the right one in his right place in our lives. Now that can feel like a pretty scary and unholy thing to admit, right? Jesus is not my number one priority. He's not my biggest desire. He's not the thing I want most in life. Although let's be honest, that probably is where most of us are at. We might not be fully aware of that, but wanting things like a nicer house and um, more money and better things, like totally understandable. But we've got to start by acknowledging that that is where we're putting our confidence That is what we're wanting most so that we can then present ourselves to Jesus honestly, vulnerably and actually. And when we do that, that means that Jesus can actually minister to you. I really don't think he's as interested in what you have to bring to him like, oh, look at my good works. Look at my failures and my flaws. Look at my achievements. He's like, no, I want to look at you like actually you. Because all of the stuff that we've done and all the stuff that we have, he already knows about it. So he wants you to come and present yourself with your need for him or even your need to need him. And this has to be, I'm convinced, a daily invitation. Like, like most of the stuff we've talked about in Philippians, it is not going to be a prayer that you pray overnight and wake up in the morning and suddenly your biggest desire in life is Jesus. We need to commit to asking for our daily bread, for the daily grace, the daily mercy and the daily redemption of meeting with Jesus and walking with him throughout our day. That daily, our will would be one with God's will. Because as we want to want Jesus we begin to want what he wants for our family, our community and our city. We've been going through a brilliant book together and I really don't don't want to go off on one about it because I love it so much. It's by Dallas Willard and it's called Renovation of the Heart. It's all about putting on the character of Christ. And he has an entire chapter on transforming our will, our want um, to become the will of God's. And he says this, our only hope is to entirely place our confidence in the God and Father of Jesus Christ, 
who is willing to enter the duplicity of our heart and bring it wholly to himself if we earnestly invite him. God hears the heart. He cares little or nothing for outward show. He responds to the heart because it is above all who we are, who we choose and have chosen to be. What God wants of us can only come from there. He respects the centrality of our will and will not override it. He seeks godly character in us and for us to fulfill the eternal destiny he has in mind for us. God wants the godly character that we need to fulfill our eternal destiny that he has in mind for us. And through his grace and our intention, we can see that character more each day before, each day that we're before him. So to know the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, I really believe we first have to want that. But just saying, I want to want Jesus, that doesn't now become a get out of jail free card, okay? It doesn't mean that you get to focus on, well, I don't really want it. And so I'm going to get so wrapped up in my intention that I'm going to stop doing practical things. I'm going to stop doing the good things, the external things we talked about earlier. Um, You know, I'm going to stop engaging with church because I'm not sure I want to want that. That's not right. It also doesn't mean that discipline and doing things when you don't want to do them isn't good because discipline is a really healthy part of our lives as mature Christians. It's necessary for us. But we need to start at the beginning. So we set our intention that when discipline comes, it's my choice and not my obligation. I get to choose to do it because my intention is set on Jesus regardless of my feelings. And that is why I'm really excited about city groups and going on this journey with scattered servants in in all of the activations and the challenges that are going to be laid before us. I really want us to all have that desire for Jesus running through it. So they aren't just the, the outward show or the external things that we do, but they are the inward commitment that we have to Jesus and the outflow of that. So what, what now, what do we do with that? It is a good question. And my prayer for each one of us is that we would figure out how we get before Jesus daily and honestly just say, I, I want to want you, Jesus. I want to know your surpassing worth, Jesus. Whether you do that in silence whether you do that with scripture, with Psalm 23 or Psalm 139, search my heart, God, know my anxious thoughts and ways. Go before him, commit your want to him, commit your day to him and then walk with him. And when things go wrong and when we let other desires take over, when we let external rites and rituals become the thing, we know that his mercies are new every morning. And we reset our intention the next day to be back with him. We say, Jesus, I want to want you and I need to need you. Show me your surpassing worth. So I want to pray for us this morning. Um, Wherever you are, don't worry about what you look like. Don't worry about what's going on. Would you just stand, engage your body in your living room 
to be like, hey, I'm going to bring myself to attention here and I'm going to reset my intention on you this morning, Jesus. So whether you want to hold out your hands or put your hand on your heart, whatever feels right to you, but let's just stand up as um, I'm going to pray for us. Yeah. Jesus. Lord, we thank you that it is by your grace that we can come honestly and actually before you. Holy Spirit, would you just meet with each one of us in our living rooms? Would you just reveal the actuality of where we're at? And in your grace and kindness, could we bring that to you this morning? Yeah, we just say, we want to want you, Jesus. We want to know your surpassing worth. We need to need you. So however feels comfortable for you now, why don't you just take a moment, maybe say something out loud or say it in your heart, but just reset your intention to Jesus now. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. Yeah, Father, we thank you for the price that Jesus paid for each one of us, that we might come into your presence, God, that we might be able to commune with you. Forgive us for where we get our desires wrong. Forgive us for where we focus on external rites and rituals. Forgive us for where our confidence is in who we are and what we have and not in Jesus. And so we say again that we want him more than anything else. And we want to want him that much. In Jesus' name, amen.